We'd like to welcome you all to church this morning on this sixth Sunday of Easter on this beautiful sunny day. Please stand and join us as we begin our service of worship by singing our praises together to our almighty God.
Toning sacrifice, keeper of this love. 
Father, it is such a joy to come together and to sing your praises. We are so grateful for all that you've done for us. Thank you for being here with us in worship today. And we pray that our worship will bring glory to you and will draw us closer to you and to each other. And this is our prayer through Christ Jesus. Amen. Share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today. To whom this is appropriate, happy Mother's Day, and I uh, hope that uh, you're, you have a, a great day. Uh, it's beautiful outside. We're getting to, uh, I think we, someone said the other day, we just sort of skipped spring, uh, but I have a feeling someone said it's coming back this next week. But anyway, uh, it's great to see you as we gather today. Just a few things in the bulletin I want to highlight. Next Saturday, or this coming Saturday, we are doing our annual work day in the morning, and if you can come for as much time as you can give, and we're going to mainly work outside, um, try to do some projects that uh, we can do together. It's a great time of fellowship, and typically there are donuts 
available. I'm assuming that's going to be the case again. So uh, if that's an incentive for you, then uh, we'll, we'll make sure they're here. So uh, we appreciate your, um, your help if you're able to come next Saturday uh, in the morning. Also, uh, you see on the back of your bulletin some uh, upcoming events next week as well. Next Sunday uh, evening is our uh, dessert and vision gathering. And this is the time where we come together and we're going to talk about, here's a few stories about some things that have happened in the church this past year. Talk about uh, where we're headed this year. And one of the things that we have incorporated over the last few years is uh, having, dividing up into small groups and just talking about uh, who we are as a church and how we can see God leading us forward and ideas that you have. And these are all really important to us. And so we hope you'll come. It doesn't matter if you're a member of the church or not or how long you've attended. We'd love for you to be a part of this meeting. And so uh, next Sunday evening at 5, and uh, we'll have some, uh, some dessert there, and uh, we will come together and talk about the church. Uh, next Sunday morning uh, is the time to elect our leaders for the year and also to approve our budget. And uh, both of those are on the table in the back. We haven't picked up one yet. Uh, there is a, a budget overview uh, back there and also a booklet with pictures and a little description of everyone who's on the ballot this year. And I encourage you to take that, be in prayer this week, and then next Sunday we will go through the process of those elections. And uh, one more thing that's not in the bulletin, right after the service this morning, I would invite you to go over to the office area in the, uh, the Flatworth building next door, the C building, and we're going to have just a real brief dedication of the remodeled office space. If you haven't had a chance to go over there yet, I'll give you a chance to, to look through things. And uh, to uh, see what's happened, we're very excited about uh, the upgrade and uh, all the things that we've gotten out of that and there's some great, uh, great things about that. And so we want to involve you in that. So just five, seven minutes or so and uh, between the, uh, service and Sunday school and uh, we invite you to come over for a brief dedication following this service. We're going to ask the ushers to come and assist us now in the giving of our tithes and offerings.
God of amazing love calls us to come to him with our prayers, our words of praise and thanksgiving, our prayers of intercession. As we pray together this morning, if you'd like to come use the altar rail as a place where you offer your prayers, please join me. Father, it is amazing, your love for us. We know the truth about ourselves. And we know the truth about you. And we see the great gap and distance between us. And yet you love us. You love us so much that you send Christ into the world to restore relationship with you and to transform us and to change us and to make us new and to set us free. And we come this morning in praise and adoration and thanksgiving because of everything you've done for us. We are in awe of the depths of your love. And all we can say is thank you. Father, in your love, you've called us to to bring to you the burdens, the cares, the concerns of our hearts. This morning, we come and we thank you for the gift of family. And we recognize that families look different. And families have varying degrees of success. And yet this morning, we want to give you thanks for the people who have nurtured us and cared for us and loved us. Father, we know that no family is perfect, so we pray that you would help us. Help us to be parents who love our children and lead our children to Christ in all that we do and help us to be children who love our parents in the spirit of Christ's love in all that we do. We pray that you would bless all of our family connections, that we would know your grace and your mercy, that we would be people who love and forgive, who show kindness and mercy, respect and honor each other, and who want nothing more than what is best for each other. Father, we also pray for the needs of our congregation. We pray for those who are grieving today and we think 
especially of Judy Maley and Carol Castor and their families, death of their fathers this week. We pray that you would comfort them and you would help them in their grief and loss. And for others who are grieving, we pray, Father, that you would pour out your spirit upon them. For some, this day is, is not so much a day of celebration as a day of grief and remembering the pain. We pray for your healing grace. Father, we pray for all who are struggling with health concerns. We pray for Beulah Avery and Jill Tyson, for Bruce Brenneman and Bev Retz, Micah Christensen, for Linda Roth, for Dick Gould, for Edna Howard, Crystal Blake, Emily Cricklar, and for others who are on our hearts and minds today and ask for your healing grace in each of them. Father, we pray for this world. We pray for the people in Nepal who are continuing to recover from the earthquakes. We pray that you will bring grace to them, that, that there will be uh, people who can help in the recovery process. And we pray that your church would be at the forefront of being a, a beacon of hope in the midst of despair. Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters throughout the world who every day, much less on Sundays, face opposition, persecution, threats, violence. And we ask for your grace and mercy upon them. Father, we thank you for all that you've done for us in Christ. We thank you that we can celebrate his resurrection, that he has conquered sin and death and all of the struggles of life and that in him we have life. Father, pour out your spirit on us as we continue in worship. Be glorified in our words, our songs, and everything that we do. And we ask all of this in the name of our risen Lord, Jesus Christ. The one who teaches us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. After this, Jesus appeared once more to his disciples at Lake Tiberias. This is how it happened. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel, the one from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples of Jesus were all together. Simon Peter said to the others, I'm going fishing. We will come with you, they told him. So they went out in a boat, but all that night they did not catch a thing. As the sun was rising, Jesus stood at the water's edge, 
But the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Young men, haven't you caught anything? Not a thing! Throw your net out on the right side of the boat, and you will catch some. So they threw the net out and could not pull it back in because they had caught so many fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Peter heard that it was the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken his clothes off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples came to shore in the boat, pulling the net full of fish. They were not very far from land, about a hundred yards away. When they stepped ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught. Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net ashore full of big fish, 153 in all. Even though there were so many, still the net did not tear. Come and eat. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. So Jesus went over, took the bread, and gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. This, then, was the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from death. After they had eaten, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these others do? Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Take care of my lambs. A second time, Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Take care of my sheep. A third time, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, Do you love me? Peter became sad because Jesus asked him the third time, Do you love me? And so he said to him, Lord, you know everything. When you were young, you used to get ready and go anywhere you wanted to. But when you are old, 
You will stretch out your hands. And someone else will tie you up. And take you where you don't want to go. In saying this, Jesus was indicating the way in which Peter would die and bring glory to God. Then Jesus said to him, Follow me. Peter turned round and saw behind him that other disciple whom Jesus loved, the one who had leaned close to Jesus at the meal and had asked, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about this man? If I want him to live until I come, what is that to you? Follow me. So a report spread among the followers of Jesus that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say he would not die. He said, if I want him to live until I come, what is that to you? He is the disciple who spoke of these things, the one who also wrote them down. And we know that what he said is true. Now there are many other things that Jesus did. If they were all written down one by one, I suppose that the whole world could not hold the books that would be written. This is the word of the Lord. Please stand and join us as we sing. And children may be dismissed for Children's Church. To look on him and pause. 
Please be seated. It may not come as a shock to you, but none of us are perfect. We wish we were. We sometimes like to think we are, but none of us are perfect. The truth is, every one of us lives with the struggle of failure and sin and Subsequently, guilt. We all live with a certain measure of guilt about things that we have left undone, that we should have done. We have a measure of guilt about things that we did and we wish we hadn't have done. It is the human condition to struggle with sin and failure and guilt. And when we're struggling with guilt, when it's especially prevalent upon us, because we do have moments when we feel like we're doing pretty well and and it's not weighing in on us, but in those moments when it is, there is a tendency to ask ourselves, am I ever going to be free from this? And the deeper question, what is God going to do about this? I have I've failed so many times. I've struggled with this sin so long. I'm still wrestling with this over and over again. At what point is God going to say, you know what, that's enough. I'm done. Maybe that's not something you struggle with, but I think most of us do. And as I read this account of Peter's life I think he's struggling with it. I like the way this, this video dramatizes the beginning of this scene. You can sense this, that Peter is feeling a, a weight on him. They've been waiting for Jesus to come. They've seen him twice on, on the Sunday night of his resurrection and a week later. And now it seems that some time has passed. They're in Galilee. They're waiting for him. And something in the back of Peter's mind may be wondering... Maybe Jesus isn't coming because of what I did to him. I mean, when Jesus needs Peter the most, he denies him. You know the feeling of someone turning on you? Someone you thought was a friend? Someone you counted on and they fail you? Imagine if they said in a moment, I don't even know who they are. I have nothing to do with that person. I wouldn't have anything to do with them if you paid me money. I could care less about them. And this is what Peter does to Jesus. And the agony and the weight and the guilt of all of that is weighing on him. And he's wondering, what's going to happen? And yet in this scene, Jesus appears. And Jesus, in essence, says to Peter, I haven't given up on you. I'm not going to give up on you. I never give up on anyone. But we do need to deal with what has happened. 
Now, our response to our guilt typically takes on one of two, two avenues. On one hand, we have a tendency to, to be so overwhelmed with guilt that we just berate ourselves continually. We just won't let it go. It doesn't matter how many times we've prayed about it. It doesn't matter how many times we've tried to confess it. We just can't let go of it. And the mantra of our lives is, if only, if only, if only, if only, if only. And we just beat ourselves up. Or we take the other route, which is basically to say, let's just not talk about it. Let's just not think about it. If I, if I just keep busy, then I don't have to worry about it anymore. I think that's, I think Peter, you see both in Peter. I think there is this deep sense of remorse. You kind of got an image of that as he's sitting there on the beach and then finally says, I'm going to go fishing. But you also get a sense of, of Peter when he encounters Jesus. He comes to the shore. He's excited to see Jesus. He gets up there and Jesus then begins to talk with them and he says, well, why don't you bring some fish? And Peter's the first one to run to the boat and drag it in himself. And he's busy and active. And, and Peter wants to just keep talking, doing. And we have a tendency to do that as well. If we have a suspicion that Jesus may want to put his finger on something in our lives that isn't where it should be, what does our prayer life tend to look like? A lot of talking and not much listening. Because if we can just keep talking, Jesus can't get a word in edgewise. And if if Jesus can't say anything to us, then we don't have to confront whatever it is that we're wrestling with that we're pretty sure he wants to deal with. And we've come to believe, at least at times, that denial is a spiritual discipline. It's not. Denying the truth is never going to get us where we want to be. It's going to take us the opposite direction. The answer isn't, if we just don't talk about it, it can't be real. The solution to restoration is always about confronting in the right way. And that's what Jesus does with Peter. And Jesus confronts Peter subtly and directly, overtly. If you read back in John chapter 18, you find the story of Jesus, of Peter denying Jesus. And this is what John says. Simon Peter followed along behind this after Jesus was arrested, as did another of the disciples. That other disciple was acquainted with the high priest, so he was allowed to enter the courtyard with Jesus. Peter stood outside the gate. Then the other disciple spoke to the woman watching at the gate, and she let Peter in. And the woman asked Peter, aren't you one of Jesus' disciples? No, he said, I'm not. The guards and the household servants were standing around a charcoal fire, for they made that they had made because it was cold. And Peter stood there with them, warming himself. And meanwhile, as Simon Peter was standing by the fire, they asked him again, are you one of his disciples? I am not, he said. But one of the household servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, didn't I see you out there in the olive grove with Jesus? And again, Peter denied it, and immediately a rooster crowed. And then you see what he records in chapter 21, verse 9. And it says, when they all got onto the shore, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. 
Now, the common denominator in those two accounts is that there's a word that's that's used only twice in all the scriptures, and it's used in those two places only, and it's the word charcoal fire. When Peter denies Jesus, there's a charcoal fire burning. When the disciples come onto the shore and Jesus has breakfast prepared for them, John makes the point to say there's a charcoal fire burning. Nothing in Scripture is coincidental. What's our most powerful memory trigger? Smell. Whenever I smell, whenever I I enter a a musty smelling room, my mind is transported back to the basement Sunday school rooms of the Pilgrim Holiness Church in Mitchell, Indiana. I'm eight years old, and I can remember that smell so distinctly. When When I smell wood, freshly cut wood, my mind goes back to the sawmill where I worked in my summers in college. And it's not because I see a two-by-four lying on the ground. It's the smell of the wood that's just been cut. Odor, aroma, smells have a way of triggering memories for us. And here comes Peter with the memory of the charcoal fire just a few weeks away... In his, in his senses, and here is Jesus cooking fish over the same kind of fire. The smell of that. And you say, man, Jesus rubbing his face in it? No. Jesus is saying, Peter, we need to deal with this. This is actually an act of grace on Jesus' part. Because Peter's going to encounter charcoal fires all of his life. And every time he smells a charcoal fire, his mind is going to revert back to that scene outside the high priest's home when he denied Jesus three times. And Jesus wants to create a new memory trigger. And say, look, let's confront this. Because now when you smell a charcoal fire, instead of feeling guilt, you're going to sense grace. We're going we're to deal with this. We're going to look at this. We're going to encounter this. I mean, this is what happens with David and Bathsheba. When the prophet Nathan comes to David and confronts him about his sin, it's not because he wants to to rub David's face in it. It's because he's saying, look, David, we got to deal with this. You think David didn't feel guilt before Nathan came to him? Of course he did. David had a sensitive heart to God. He knew that it was wrong. Nathan comes and says, all right, let's address this. Let's deal with this. So that now you have new memories. And we move on from here. But Jesus also confronts Peter overtly, directly. They're sitting there and Jesus says to him, Peter, do you love me? He says, you know I love you. He says, do you love me? You know I love you. Do you love me? You know I love you. And John tells us after the third time, Peter is upset that Jesus asked him a third time. And there are all kinds of theological explanations for, for what Jesus is doing here and the verbs are different and things. I think it boils down to this. Peter denied Jesus three times and now Jesus asks him if he loves him three times. And again, he's confronting him. Do you love me? Do you care about me? Are we going to deal with this? 
Is this going to be something that we just deny ever happened or are we going to confront it? And Jesus says, if we're going to move past it, we have to confront it. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? We all know what happened, Peter. When John writes this, this gospel, Peter's probably been dead for 15 years. Everybody in the church knows about what Peter did. It's in all the gospels. No one's trying to hide it. And I think it's because Peter is basically saying, look, let's talk about it because Jesus has redeemed me, restored me, because we've dealt with it. We've dealt with it. it, it, it but you know, if we just live in denial, it's sort of like having a, an aortic blockage of our heart and thinking, well, I'll just take some nitroglycerin and that'll take care of it. I mean, it eases the pain. We feel better for a while, but what we really need is surgery. But we don't want to go through surgery because surgery is painful. And surgery leaves us vulnerable. And surgery leaves scars. But if we're going to deal with the problem, you got to deal with this. You got to have surgery. And Jesus is trying to help Peter understand that. And Peter is slowly beginning to realize that. But when Jesus is restoring him, it's not just about, hey, we've got to take care of the past. And Jesus will do that with us. He wants to, to directly confront the things that we've been wrestling with and our failures. It's not denial because he, he wants us to know he understands. He sees it. He knows what's happened. Now let's deal with it. But the next step is to move from the past to the future. When he asked, Jesus, asked Peter the first question, he says, do you love me more than these? Now, in the video, it said, do you love me more than these guys love me? And that is one interpretation. Peter, do you love me more than they love me? And in essence, he's taking Peter back to his, the point of his denial. Back in the, in the before he, when Jesus predicts his denial, and Peter said, Jesus says, you guys can't go with me where I'm going. And Peter says, well, why not? I'll go to death with you. I don't know about these other losers, but I will go to death with you. I mean, that's an essence of what he's saying. And now Jesus says, okay, Peter, do you love me more than these guys do, like you thought you did? That's one interpretation. Another interpretation is, do you love me more than you love these guys. Because really all it says is, do you love me more than these? It's really open-ended. And do you love me more than these guys? And you love these guys. You bonded. You're connected to each other. You're important to each other. And that is so good. But do you love me more than you love them? And you know, on a a day when we celebrate family, it is important for us to remember as much as we love family, as important as family is to us, there is always a higher calling on our lives. Because family only makes sense. Family only works when Jesus is first. And it may be the interpretation is, do you love me more than you love all this stuff? All the the nets and the fish and the boats. These things that represent your livelihood. They represent your income. They represent a life of relative comfort. You make a good living doing this. The excitement of catching the fish. Do you love me more than this? And all of these things. Am I first? Whatever the interpretation. I do think it comes down to. Peter. Peter. 
Am I your first love? Because if we're going to do anything about your failures, if we're ever going to to retard the number of failures, if you're ever going to live as a victorious Christian in, in spite of the sins and the struggles that you go through, the priorities of your life are imperative. Who's your first love? What's your first love? More often than not, when we struggle with sin, it comes back to that question. What's our first love? Who's first for us? And it's a struggle. It's a battle. But life is as it was meant to be only when Jesus is our first love. And sometimes our struggle is that we want... We're more interested in what Jesus can do for us than we are in Jesus himself. And that's building a a dangerous tower because there are going to be times when Jesus is not going to do what we want him to do. And when that happens, it's going to shake our faith if what Jesus can do for us is more important than Jesus himself. In many ways, it comes down to, uh, is our love for what we want Jesus to be, our vision of Jesus, our view of Jesus, or is our love Jesus who he says he is and who he claims to be and who he wants to be? What do we really want? Deep inside is our passion, our desire, our yearning, what we want in our hearts, even if we're even if we fail often at accomplishing it, is it what we want for Jesus to be who he says he is or is what we want for Jesus to be who we want him to be? I'm convinced that the heart of Peter's struggle, his denial, is that Jesus says to them over and over and over again, I am a servant. I'm going to conquer sin. I'm going to overcome the world by serving, by dying, by being vulnerable, going to the cross. And Peter is saying, I mean, he flashes a sword in the garden. Peter is saying, that's not the way it's done. That's not who I want you to be. And I'm going to fight for you to be who I want you to be. And when Peter realizes that it's not going to go that way, it's like he can't handle this. So now he gets another chance. And you and I are continually confronted with that question. Is our life going to be shaped and formed and built around our image of who we want Jesus to be or who he says he is and who he wants to be? How do we make a difference in the world? How do we we come to grips with with the, the way of God in the world and what it means to be a victorious person in the world and to be an influence for God in the world? Is it about what we tend to want, which is might and power and influence and all the strategies of the world? Or is it the way of the cross, of vulnerability, even weakness, That we live without worrying about whether we are rewarded or not, whether we're recognized or not, whether everybody understands or not. Do we believe that the way to influence the world and to change the world is by defeating the world 
or by loving the world. And Peter is coming to grips with that. And you and I have to come to grips with that too. It is at the heart of of overcoming the struggles of our lives. It's It's at the heart of being who God has called us to be. And it is hard. It's a battle. I mean, Jesus has some pretty harsh things to say about Peter's future. It's going to be tough. He's going to need Jesus at the center. He's going to need to surrender his passion, his desire for what he wants Jesus to be. And of course, Peter's response is our response. All right, Lord, that's, man, that's hard. What about him? I mean, if I have to go through this, he has to go through it too, right? I mean, let's be fair here. If I have to struggle, then he better have to struggle. Right? I mean, we understand that. We've all wrestled with that. How come I have to deal with this and they don't? How come this is, this is my burden and they get it easy? And Jesus doesn't really answer his question. He doesn't answer ours either. He just simply says, you let me worry about them. I've got one thing to say to you. You follow me. You follow me. And the word that Jesus uses with Peter has the connotation of not just start out following, but it's keep on following. That all of life is wrapped up in following Jesus. Willingly surrendering to Jesus. Recognizing that only as we give up ourselves as we die to our image of what we want Jesus to be and embrace the image of who he says he is, that life becomes what deep inside we want it to be. In our tradition, we talk often about victorious Christian living and we talk about overcoming sin and we talk about living a life of holiness and that is God's desire for us. God, Jesus doesn't go to the cross and die and rise from the dead just so we can live mediocre lives. Just so, so we live our lives always just saying, well, we're going to fail all the time, so what difference does it make? No, he does that so we do live victoriously. So that we can have the power to overcome sin. But we have come to believe that that happens by us being strong. And the reality is it happens by us surrendering and willingly becoming weak and vulnerable and dying to ourselves and our dreams and our passions of what we want Jesus to be. Because when we, when we take that mindset, then the Spirit can do something with us. We're wide open and the Spirit can fill us and the Spirit can give us the kind of power that we need and strength that we need to be much more successful as followers of Jesus. And it's a journey. And most of our lives are going to be a few steps forward and a step or two back and a few steps forward and a step or two back because we're still human. We're still on the journey but in the spirit of Christ the steps forward get a little further and the steps back get a little less
And it's not because of us. It's because of Christ in us. And this is what we want our church to be. This is what we want the church to be, a place where we nurture the kind of openness, the kind of, of sensitivity, the kind of spirit that, that recognizes we all struggle, we're all on the journey, and we're here for each other. And instead of, of acting as if everybody ought to be perfect, we recognize that what we need is places for honesty and transparency. So that Jesus can do something in us. Bruce Larson was a long time a pastor. A church in New York City in California. And he, I read an interview of his once. And he said, you know, sometimes it seems as though in the church, it's a museum for people who are perfect. It's the kind of place where we come and we look at all of these saints sort of with that, that we put in little glass cases. And we say, wow, aren't they so perfect? Aren't they so awesome? And we give the impression that that's what the church is. And if we were just better people, we might get out, we might get up in one of those glass cases. But alas, we know who we all are. He says instead, instead of a place where he says, instead of a church that, that we, we talk about people who are sinners emeritus, we talk about a hospital where people are real and honest and needy and find help. Because the atmosphere of perfection like that, it just breeds loneliness. It breeds despair. Because we come knowing our struggles and thinking nobody else has any. And the reality is we all have them. We all struggle. And yes, some of us are further along the journey than others. And, and they should be an inspiration to us. But not because they're perfect. But because maybe they have understood the surrender to Christ a little bit more than we have. One of the things I love about Peter is that when you read the book of Acts, Peter has a struggle getting to what Jesus wants him to be. He is a leader in the church and, God, and Christ gives him that mission. It's an amazing thing. God give, Christ gives him the mission to feed the lambs and tend the sheep. And there is this sensitivity to people that Peter has. And I suspect one of the missions of Peter's life is to work with people who have struggled with denying Christ. Because he understands. To look at Peter and he wrestles with what it means to be a Gentile in the church. And he wants people to be Jewish first and then they can be Christian. And, and the spirit speaks to him and works with him and he gets it. And then later on he doesn't get it and he falls back. And, and quite honestly, that's encouraging to me. Because I see Peter making progress and then I see Peter having some struggles again. Just like you have and just like I have. Obviously, I have no idea the things that may make you feel guilty, may make you struggle today in wherever you are with your journey with Christ. But he knows. 
And his dream, his desire for you is to set us free. And sometimes that's a painful process. But in the end, it's worth it. Because we are healed and restored. And we begin to understand joy and peace and grace and freedom and life. Holy Father, thank you for the grace that is ours in Jesus. Lord, in this moment, just taking a moment of silence. We pray that you will speak into our lives and that you'll give us ears to hear whatever you desire to say. Father, we pray that you will speak grace into our hearts and minds. Lead us to whatever confession we need to make. Lead us to allow you to confront whatever needs to be confronted. And give us grace to once again surrender our image of you. to who you want to be. And may we have a sense of restoration and joy and freedom in your forgiveness. We pray this through Christ Jesus. Amen. As we uh, sing the, the last song this morning, I'm going to ask you to stand. And if you would like to to come to the altar and pray this morning, please do so. And some of us who are here will be glad to pray with you. As uh, you sense God leading you, pray in your seat, pray here. But let Christ speak into your heart to give grace to you in your need. Please stand. <coughs>
bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.